Matthew chapter 9, verses 35, on through chapter 10, verse 4. Uh, we have the sermon notes at the back table. Otherwise, just go ahead and look in your Bibles or your iPhones or whatever electronic device you use. But that's our scripture. So go ahead and just read through the scripture there. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 on through chapter, uh, verse 4 of chapter 10. Each week we've been looking at the authority of Jesus, and I mentioned that after each message and before each message, there are two really important questions to ask. First, who is Jesus Christ? And second, how am I going to respond to him? How am I going to respond to Christ and his authority over all of these things? And that just key questions that we just should be asking ourselves on a regular basis. Who do we really believe Jesus is? And how does that impact the way we live? Because if it doesn't impact the way we live, that gives us an indication of who we really believe Jesus is. I also have stated there's a great difference between the God of our experience and our and you know, our experience of God, meaning that we may have experienced something about God at one period of time, and because of that, we've just closed ourselves off to experiencing anything new and fresh in regards to God. Um, and I used the example of last week of um, healing the blind man, and all he did was touch his eyes. And in another scene, he spit in the mud and, and put the mud on the blind man's eyes. And then the third situation, he just spit in the man's eyes. And if all three of those had gotten together, they would have said, well, this is how God heals blindness. And you would have had the touchites, the mudites, and the spitites. Um, and they, all would have, they would have all said, this is the only way God can work. And that's the problem that sometimes we have. God works a certain way in our life, and we define that that's how he has to work in everyone's life. And so we close ourselves off to any fresh experience of God. Um, and so now we're moving into sort of the end of Jesus' authority over things. And next week we'll talk about Jesus' authority over our stewardship. But today in verse 35, he gives a summary of Jesus' ministry at the time. He was going through all the villages teaching, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every kind of disease and sickness. So you have this threefold ministry of Jesus. Healing, proclaiming, and teaching. And the reality is, he tells us to do the same thing. You know, he's saying, these are the three things that we need to be a part of. But in verse 36, we see what Jesus saw. Um, and that's really the key. If we're going to live differently, if we're going to answer the question of who is Jesus, 
we need to be able to see as Jesus saw and feel as Jesus felt in order to do what Jesus did. Because if we don't see what he did, if we don't have that same feeling that he did, we're just not going to do the things that he did. Because they're not going to be that important. So in verse 36, we see what Jesus saw. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the great need of lost people. He just saw the great need of lost people. And so we too need to see as Jesus saw. Presumably, Jesus and the disciples all saw the same crowd that was coming towards them. But Jesus' response was with compassion. And so sometimes when we see that same crowd, we may not see exactly what Jesus saw. Years ago, some researchers decided to find out if seminary students are good Samaritans. So they did an experiment. They took 40 ministerial students and said, we need you to go down the street and give an impromptu lecture. And it could be, and it was on the Good Samaritan or anything else. And so one by one, they left and they went down the street. But they had hired a person to fall down and moan on the street when the seminary students were walking by. 50% of them walked right by the person that had fallen on the street and they were going to talk about the Good Samaritan. Um, and then they just fell. 50% of them. One even walked over the person. And um, so now probably your first reaction is you've got to be kidding. If I saw that, I would have immediately stopped. Uh, I'm not so sure. Um, maybe a lot of us would, but I think that what happens in life, we just get caught up in the things that are going on in our life, and we're so focused that we don't even see the needs that are around us. Um, so they didn't see as Jesus saw. Um, what did Jesus see? People who were harassed and helpless, uh, like sheep without a shepherd. The ESV version describes harassed and helpless. The King James Version says they fainted and were scattered abroad. The NIV says distressed and downcast. So the Amplified Version sort of puts them all together and says bewildered, harassed, distressed, dejected, and helpless. Um, so you get the idea that these people were in trouble. He saw a crowd of people that just were lost. Um, they were separated from God. And outwardly they may look calm and comfortable. Uh, they may be successful in worldly terms. But Jesus sees their hearts before God. Uh, they may look normal outwardly, but inwardly they are, as Paul describes, without hope and without God in the world. And that was last night's table conversation. All four of us men shared how we were successful, how we had this, we had that, 
Uh, one guy just said, I had no problem. I could just write a check for anything. No problem whatsoever. But yet, he knew that he was lost. Um, he shared how he was emotionally divorced from his wife. And, you know, they, start, they had kids and they started taking him to church. And he'd sit there in church and just listen to the pastor and say, who are you telling me? What do you think you're telling me? And then he'd be driving in the car and he says, man, I am a horrible sinner. But he wouldn't say anything because he was emotionally divorced from his wife and he didn't want to humble himself before his wife to acknowledge that there was something wrong with him. But finally he just, you know, said I was in my basement and just cried out to God. Well, all of these men looked outwardly fine. But inside, they were lost. Um... And Jesus described them as saw lost people as sheep without a shepherd. Um, the Jewish religious leaders should have been shepherding them, but instead they were judging them. Uh, the religious, re religious leaders were self-righteous and self-seeking, looking down, down on the common people just as sinners and not wanting to have anything to do with them. They were not shepherded them, shepherded them with the same compassion that Christ was because they did not see what Jesus saw. Folks, hurting people do not wear neon signs that say, love me, I'm hurting. But there are hurting people all around us. Jesus saw these people as distressed, as hurting. And we need to be able to see the same thing. Um, again, last night we're sitting at, we're having a great time at this wedding reception. And Gwen gets up and she goes to the other side of the room. And as she gets over there, a lady who she does not know, um, because she was with another lady that she did know, just came over and just started crying. And just telling her how much pain she was in and how hurt she was and how sad she was. And it's amazing how large the harvest is and how people are just hungering for somebody to listen to them and for somebody to care. Um, they're everywhere. And sometimes we just step over them without even seeing them, because we walk into an event, we walk into a church, we walk into our work, we walk into some place, and we have this agenda that I need to take, this, take care of this, and we don't see that there's a hurting person right next to us. Um, and that they just need somebody to care. Jesus saw the great harvest of lost people. He said the harvest is plentiful. Um, there was a harvest waiting to be, be sown, reaped. Um, and we practically deny the truth of Jesus' words whenever we think that that person really does not want to hear me or that person wouldn't want me to talk to them about Christ or they would not want to enter into a spiritual conversation. Because if Jesus has said the harvest is there, he's already prepared it. And all he needs is us to be the arms, the hands, the mouth that will share with them 
the truth of God's grace, the truth of God's love, the truth of God's salvation, and to have a hand and an arm out there to hold and to care. Um, so Jesus saw the great need of lost people. Uh, he also saw the great need for workers for the harvest. This is the part that sort of blows me away. Um, the, workers, the workers are few. And Jesus has chosen to use us. Now, you may think that that's normal, but knowing myself and knowing people, why would Jesus entrust us with the most important message that the world can hear? You know, I'm thinking, just send a legion of angels. You know, sit, sit down an army. Let the angels take care of it because, you know, we're not really good at this. You know, you tell us to go forth and proclaim the gospel and we're quiet. You tell us not to say anything and we talk about everything. Don't gossip. We, we gossip. Proclaim the gospel. I'm not sure about that one. And so why would I trust humans to do that? And how many times have you had that opportunity, or maybe you haven't, but I've had 10 of opportunities where I said, you know, should I say something? No, I won't say anything. And then afterwards I go, why didn't I say something? And then God says, you know what? You were a lost person, and now I'm going to use you to communicate with other lost people. I said, can't we find somebody else, God? Um, but it's just interesting that he used that. And the reality is, here's the kicker for all of us. If you are a believer, if you are a believer, if you've made a commitment to Jesus Christ, if you said, yes, he's my Lord and Savior, I believe in him, you are one of his workers. There's no, you can't deny it. He's gifted each and every one of us for that purpose. Um, so again, up to this point, Jesus has used, done all the ministry while his disciples watched. Okay? He's done all the healing, he's done all the teaching, he's done it all, and the disciples have just been going along and they're watching, and now he gets the disciples involved. Um, so first we need to see, Jesus, see as Jesus saw. But then next, we need to feel as Jesus felt. While verse 35 tells us what Jesus did, verse 36 tells us why he did it. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Um, seeing the people, he felt compassion. Uh, and this word, compassion, in the Greek, I mean, it's as strong as you can possibly have. These people are feeling it. He's feeling it deep in his gut that what's going on in these people's lives is a deep concern for them. He, you know, he wants to come alongside. He heals. Um, I don't know how we can even grasp the sense of meaning that Jesus has here. He didn't angrily blame them for the things they did. He didn't angrily blame them for the mess they got themselves into. Although he easily could have. You know, if you had just listened to me in the first place, you wouldn't be going through this. He didn't do that. Instead, he felt great compassion. And it's a compassion that motivates you to do whatever you can to help a person get connected to a savior that can solve their problem. Um, 
that you will do whatever you can to come alongside and love them well. Not love them codependently, but love them well to do whatever is necessary. Um, so why such a strong feeling? Because the multitudes of the situation they were in was just desperate. Um, he sees the heart, and he sees the hearts of these people as wounded and torn and lost lost without a relationship with Christ. Now, I have to be honest with you. Compassion doesn't always come easy to me. I can get going in my own agenda and I see a need and I go, oh, really? I, can't we call somebody else? You know, it doesn't always just come that easy. Um, sometimes I see people that are entrapped by sin and I don't always feel compassion. I feel a little bit of a judgment. Says, you know what? That was your choice. And why did, you know, you made that choice. But I don't see Jesus doing that. I mean, he, they, it, he says it's their choice. But at the same time, he has compassion for them. So how do I balance truth with that sense of compassion? When I see people suffering from the immorality of our society... Instead of feeling compassion, I feel overwhelmed. How is that ever going to change? How is that ever going to change? Change. Now, I'm going to share something. I'm going to change the language. Um, I'd like to now, a story about a pastor who began his sermon using these verses. He began his sermon this way. Before I get started, I'd like to make three points today. First, there are millions of people around the world who are going to go to hell. Second, most of us sitting here today don't give a blank about that. Third, after a long pause, he says, you are more concerned that I, your pastor, said the word blank than you are about the millions going to hell. Well, there's 170,000 people in Aurora that aren't in church every Sunday. They're addicted, they're lost, there's, they're divorcing, their kids are in jail, they are in jail, there's problems in our city that are beyond comprehension. And we could probably say the same thing, that most of the people in the churches today don't give a rip about the 170,000 because the 30,000 that are in church feel okay. That's not the way God would be. And he has a concern. Um, so we need to feel as Jesus felt in order to do as Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He ministered to people's needs and he prayed for more workers. Uh, Jesus ministered to the people's spiritual needs as well as physical needs. Uh, every Christian is called to serve Christ. That's not an option. We are called to serve. Now, if we're not doing it, we're not, doing, we're not using the gifts that God has given us to serve the body of believers. 
And again, go back to verse 35. Matthew summarizes what Jesus did. Teach, um, heal, and proclaim the gospel. So not everyone is gifted to preach. Not everyone is gifted to teach. But everyone is gifted to love. And everyone is gifted to reach out. And everyone is gifted to be able to tell people, this is what God did in my life, and this is what he can do in your life. It's interesting, if each person going to church in the city of Aurora was able to just pray through and lead one other person, just one other person, in one year to Christ, there would be 60,000 people in Aurora going to church. Well, if you have 30,000 new converts, that's going to change a culture. That's going to change a church. That's going to change a city. And how does Jesus say to do it? He didn't just say, go out and do it yourself. Pray. Pray. Pray for more workers. Pray constantly for more workers. And I think he tells us that for a couple of reasons. Number one, we as individuals can only impact a certain number of people. But when we incorporate prayer, that number is unlimited. And we're not praying just for, to me for, to impact one person. I'm praying that God will continue to bring more workers into the fold. That more workers will feel a sense of calling to make a difference and go out and reap the harvest that God has already prepared for us. It's just there waiting for somebody to go into the field. Um, and so that's what he calls us to do. Um, we can minister to people. See, Charles Spurgeon said, I really should never use the name Charles. I almost said it again. I <laughs> um, he said that this verse weighed more heavily on his heart than any other verse to get workers. Um, I want to close with a record of something that God did 160 years ago in New York City. It illustrates how God has started every harvest time in history through the concerted prayer of his people. Toward the middle of the 1800s, um, the religious awakenings that had taken place at the Second Great Awakening, which, awakening, which started about 1790 and you know, went into the early 1800s. And then it started to wane. And America was prosperous and felt little need to call upon God. But in the 1850s, um, we had a great panic that swept throughout the United States. And so, again, there was thousands of jobs that were lost, banks closed, railroads failed, went into bankruptcy. In the city of, of New York at that time, there was about 700,000 people, 30,000 men were unemployed. In October of 1857, the hearts of people were completely weaned from any kind of spiritual um, understanding. And there was uncertainty, there was hunger, there was despair, there was all kinds of problems that were taking place in New York City. 
But on July 1st, a quiet and zealous businessman named Jeremiah Lanfear took up an appointment as a city missionary in downtown New York, and he was appointed by the North Church of the Dutch Reformed Denomination. <coughs> Burdened by the need, Jeremiah decided to invite others to join him in a noonday prayer meeting. And so he sent out a flyer, put it out, and said, every Wednesday at noon, we're going to be praying, and it's going to be from 12 to 1, come for the whole hour, come for 5 minutes, come for 10 minutes, come for whenever you can, but we're going to be praying. And so he sent that all around in the area, and that first day, he's there at noon, nobody's there. At 10 minutes after, nobody's there. 20 minutes after, there's nobody there, he starts pacing and praying. All of a sudden, at 12.30, he hears steps coming up the, up the stairway. And then pretty soon, there were six people, and they prayed. The next week, there were 40 people praying. Shortly after that, they had the prayer meeting every day at noontime. Um, and pretty soon, let me see what the numbers were, within six months, 10 thousand businessmen were gathering daily for prayer in New York. Within two years, a million converts were added to the American churches. A million converts were added. Think of what that size-wise and what that would be percentages today. And it all started with just one man inviting somebody to pray with them and to see that prayer grow. That's the importance of prayer, folks. That's why we need to be praying. It's not about us. It's about praying that God will continue to bring workers into the harvest. Um, so again, the greatest revival in New York City's history was sweeping the city and it was not because of some charismatic leader. It was because of one faithful person saying we're going to pray. When prayer becomes that important to us, it will change our city. It will change our city. Our city is laying on the sidewalk. And the church is walking by. And the one thing we can do is just pray and pray for workers, and pray that God will give us, individually, opportunities to share God's love, His grace, His truth with those that are around us. There's a great harvest out there. We were talking about this on, uh, on our Wednesday night group. Monday night group, Tuesday night group. <laughs> <coughs> the group that we have. Um, and while we were talking about praying, um, was it Andrew that found us, started talking about an app for prayer? And then Ben found one and said, Echo. And he goes, oh, I like this one. And it's all lined out. So anyway, so all of us got into a group prayer. And it's a, a, a thing called Echo Prayer. And you can have groups and but just pray for each other immediately. Um, which is just cool that you can be a part of something like that. 
Um, and you can share prayer requests with the group. And folks, it's just one more way of reminding ourselves to just pray. And I just want to challenge you. As we're going forward and with changes in our church, um, with growth, with things that are taking place, to pray for the church, but to pray for the city, to pray for workers to go out into the harvest. Um, I want to challenge you, um, and I usually don't do things like this, but to devote specific time to pray for the church, for the city, um, for the direction that we can continue to have an impact on the city. Um, and if you really feel strong about it, just fast one meal a week. Um, I'm trying to figure out which one that's going to be for me. Um, but to just to fast and say, you know, I'm fasting and praying for our city. Um, some of you know, and I talk about hurting people in the church, um, Ryan McBee and Becky's husband is sitting in jail um, and on a million dollar bond. And I mentioned this again to our M3 group and they said, well, let's go visit them. You know, if there's somebody here who's in our church that's hurting. And so we can write to him, we can make calls, there's all kinds of ways to contact him, but he's a person who we can look at and say, you know, those were his choices. And he'll be the first one to tell you those were his choices. You know, when God looks at him, he looks at him with the same love that he looks at us. And it doesn't matter what his choices have caused him, God still says, he's one of my children. And that's the kind of compassion we have. And so I think Coletta has a ways to get a hold of, to be able to write to him or call or whatever you need to do to visit and so if you want to know how to get a hold of Ryan or to call him or to contact him or to just send cards of encouragement, because he's facing some serious time. And so, um, and I think he goes to court on the 12th. Yeah. And so, so not only praying for Becky, but also praying for Ryan. And there's other people in our church that have gone through horrible times and how are we going to come alongside and be those compassionate people um, and look at them the way Jesus looked at them feel the way Jesus felt so we can do what Jesus did so. Father I just praise you and thank you for this day I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come together to worship you to hear from your word, to be challenged by your word. To truly let our lives be touched by your spirit moving in our hearts and our minds, making a difference. That Lord, we just don't hear words and then move on, but we let those words penetrate into our heart. We let your truth penetrate into our mind and into our hearts that we truly are a changed people, a transformed people. 
of people who leave here ready to make a difference, to be a light. And Lord, you have brought people into our lives that we're not even sure who they are, that are just waiting for somebody to reach out to them, to share with them, to love them, to share your word with them, and to just watch you bring new birth into a person's life. And Lord, make us those people. Make us the people who are willing to go out and boldly proclaim the truth of your word, the truth of your love and your grace. Father, I just am amazed at how in just situations where you just wouldn't expect it, somebody will just pour out their heart of hurt and loss and pain, just hungering for somebody to give them some hope, some truth, some guidance that says, I don't have to go through this alone, that God's with me, and that there is a hope, that this is not the final destination. This is just a my, part of my journey into Christ-likeness. So, Father, I just praise you and thank you for each and every person here and ask that you continue to minister to each of us as we go forth to minister to others. This is my prayer in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.